We're in a sermon series called Did God Really Say? And we've talked about a lot of different things in the first uh, portion of, of that. We talked about cultural, cultural issues that we're facing today. Next couple of weeks I'll get back into some things that honestly are highly controversial. Uh, but this week, this is like mildly controversial. I think most people uh, will, will agree with what I say. Some people may not this morning, but that's okay. But I want to give us a biblical view on, on God as a healer. And so the title of my message this morning is, Did God Really Say He's Still a Healer? Of course, we sung it this morning without me even realizing what was going to be the last song. But it said, he, he healed back then, He's still a healer now. Amen. And so I want to lay that out in Scripture for us and let us have a look at that because from the very beginning to the end, the Bible teaches that supernatural healing is a legitimate part of God's activity. Matter of fact, God reveals Himself in different ways throughout the Old Covenant. And you guys know Jehovah Jireh, Jehovah Sidkenu. He reveals Himself in all of these ways, Jehovah Shalom. And one place right out of the gate in the book of Exodus, He reveals Himself as Jehovah Rapha, the Lord our healer, or the Lord who heals you. And so when he would give them a name, he's basically saying, this is my nature, this is my character, this is who I am. If you come into contact with me, you will find that I will provide for you. If you come into contact with me, you will find that I am the one who sanctifies you, that I am one who gives you righteousness. And if you come in contact with me and experience my character and my nature, you will find that I am one who heals you of all your sicknesses and all of your diseases. So if I'm laying out healing from a biblical viewpoint, I want to say, let me give a disclaimer out of the gate. It does not exclude proper consultation with doctors. And it does not overlook our responsibility to treat our bodies as temples of the Holy Spirit and keep as healthy as we can in the process. Amen. If I eat three Big Macs a day, it's going to affect my health. Somebody amen me this morning. Like, uh, and, and, and so we have to take all of those things into consideration when we're talking about healing and we're talking about health. But the scriptures actually lead us to hold a tension between a theology of suffering and a theology of power. And we're always holding that tension as Christians because what we believe is that in this world you will face tribulation, you will face struggles, you will face trial. Sometimes we, look at, we, we face premature death, we face cancer and sickness and illness and all of these things are a part of the broken world that we live in and we will go through suffering as Christians in this life, period. But on that same token, we hold that, intention, we hold that intention with the fact that God is still a Savior. He's still a healer. He is still a deliverer. And when Jesus came, He brought His kingdom. And we are experiencing the already but not yet kingdom. One day, all sickness, all disease, and all death will be completely eradicated. But right now, as Christian believers, we have been given the Holy Spirit to demonstrate foretastes of that kingdom in the here and now. And we believe that the power of God... God is available to change these circumstances. In other words, our theology doesn't just simply bring us to a point where we say, well, we believe in Jesus, and when we die, we get to go to heaven. But right now in this life, God never really moves, but we just need to believe in Jesus. Now, we don't believe that. We believe that God breaks and moves in among his people now to heal, to deliver, to set free, to save. We don't see it all happen just yet. It will not all happen until Jesus returns. But as his followers, we are to be signposts to that coming kingdom in which one day all of these things will be eradicated. So we're partnering with him in the here and now to see healing because healing is a significant part of our inheritance as Christians. And I'll, I'll agree that healing biblically has been totally misunderstood. It's been discarded a lot of times when the church has, has lost touch with God's desire to heal and certain doctrines have infiltrated the church. I remember when I first got saved, when in the, within the first year that I got saved and was filled with the Holy Spirit, I saw several people be completely healed and I also saw demons manifest and people get set free and delivered from demons. So it was hard then for anybody to come in and teach me out of it. You know what I'm saying? Like I, because you can go to church and be raised in certain churches that believe certain ways. And basically they teach and instruct you not to believe in these things. That these things are wrong to believe in. That we shouldn't, that we shouldn't see God move in miraculous ways. But within one year when I had been saved, I already saw God move in miraculous ways. And somebody could argue, yeah, but that's just not biblical. And my response to you would be, have you read the Bible? I mean, God is doing all kinds of stuff from the front to the back. He never stopped doing it. 
for, so for me to begin to believe that somehow just because the Bible is, has been written and finished that God's still not doing those things, it, 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 it never clicked with me. It never made sense. I couldn't find that to be a true biblical reality. Now, I also will agree that guess what? There have been people who have abused healing, immoral individuals who prey upon the sick for financial or ministry gain. There have been people who have gotten whole ministries going where it's just about healing and they prey on the sick for financial gain, for ministry gain, to advance their own ministry, and that is wrong. But see, it's also hard to uphold in our Western society because we have an abundance of medical help. Every time we get sick, right, we can go to the doctor. And we've learned to put our trust in the doctors. We've learned to put our trust in the medicines. And doctors and medicines can be a very good thing. But I need you to understand that there are times when doctors and medicines don't help. And we should put the foundation of our faith in a trust in God as who He reveals Himself to be, which is Jehovah Rapha, the Lord. God your healer the one who heals you and he may use medicine he may use doctors absolutely I know people in various circumstances right now we thank God for the doctors that are able to help those people in those situations we're praying for baby Levi and to be honest with you were it not for the medical attention that he was getting he would be in much worse shape than he is but they're helping him in such a profound way and we thank God for that aspect of his healing ministry amen so if I'm going into this a little bit more, I need you to understand that there's a biblical concept of shalom in the Old Testament. If you talk about Jerusalem, Jerusalem is a word. It means foundation of peace. Shalom is peace. But shalom has to do with healing, spirit, soul, body, mind, will, emotions. And that's why when Jesus returns, you know what he establishes? A new Jerusalem. A foundation of shalom. That means that we will be healed. Spirit, soul, and body, and all of those things will come into full effect in that moment. But until that time, every healing that we experience on earth is always partial and fragmentary. There is no healing on this earth that is completed. Nobody just says, oh, I, I got healed by God right then and now I'll never die. Nobody says that, do they? Even when Lazarus was raised from the dead, you know what? He died again. He died again. So we all face sickness. We all face death. And every healing on earth is always partial and fragmentary. But it is a signpost to a coming kingdom in which all sickness and all death will one day be eradicated. So I want to give you six points. I was going to say quick, but they probably won't be quick because y'all know how I preach. Amen. But number one, God wants... To heal the sick. It's his desire to heal the sick. When Jesus first sent out his disciples, he gave them this commission in Matthew 10. 1. It says he called to him his 12 disciples and he gave them authority over unclean spirits to cast them out. And to heal every disease and every affliction. Even in the story where Jesus heals a paralytic... He says to the paralytic before he heals him, he says, Hey, your sins are forgiven you. The religious leader said, Blasphemy. How can he forgive sins? And he said, So that you might know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins. Rise, take up your bed and walk. What he did in that moment was he linked what was actually an Old Testament principle together, which is that forgiveness and healing go hand in hand. Forgiveness begins the process of spiritual healing which God desires to move out into your emotional life, your mental life, and even your physical life. This is why David knew it. David had a concept of this reality. In Psalm 103 verse 2, he said, Bless the Lord, O my soul, and forget not all of His benefits. Do you realize that there's benefits to knowing this God? He says, Forget not all of His benefits. Who does what? Who forgives all of your iniquity, who heals all your diseases. Forgiveness and healing function together in the kingdom of God. And I will say this, that honestly, a few times I have been ministering to people one-on-one, -on -one, having conversations with them, and they wanted prayer for healing. And as we prayed for healing, the Holy Spirit began to deal with me or deal with them about an issue in their heart. And what it dealt with was back to the root of it. They needed to forgive somebody in their life. And when they were willing to open up about what they had experienced and forgive someone in their life, the healing begin to take place I'll give you one particular circumstance and some of y'all think I'm crazy but I just take risks with this okay I, I was I was counseling with a, a woman that I just met she had been addicted to drugs for years 
and we got to the root. Not We didn't get to the drug addiction. We got to the root of the drug addiction. And, and what it was is she finally opened up, had never told anybody about the abuse that she had went through as a child. And so she had multiple diseases going on in her body. I can remember specifically she was dealing with hepatitis and honestly liver failure. And she was in really bad shape, looked terrible. Her, her color was off. And, uh, and we prayed for her and nothing really happened. But the, the more we counseled, we found out she had been abused. And finally we got to the point where we recognized what God was asking her to do was to, he, to forgive her abuser. She did that, prayed through it. God touched her. She wept, she mourned, she grieved it. She processed it, she forgave. And a week later, she went back to the doctor and she came back in and she said, I don't know what happened, but they said, I'm completely clear. I have none of those sicknesses that I had. Now, and to be honest with you, I'll just be honest with you. Let me tell you where my faith level's at on that. I still wrestle with that. I'm like, is that really true? You know, are we sure... You know, I want some documented, verifiable facts. You need to bring me the documents back. Because I, would you not think that that's how we think as people? As a matter of fact, people who actually uh, come out against healing or people who claim to be in healing ministries, that's what they're always trying to say is, well, this isn't documented, it's not verifiable. But I can tell you without a shadow of a doubt that God still heals today. I've seen it happen too many times, and I like to err on the side of faith. I like to err on the side of believing God. And so... Sickness entered the world, I need you to understand, through Adam's sin, and it was never in the original intention of God. Do you realize that death was actually never in the original intention of God? Nobody in the Bible sentimentalizes death. They all call it God's enemy. Even Jesus calls it God's enemy. That's why he entered into it to blow it up from the inside. That's why when Jesus showed up, he never looked at a sick person and said, Hey, my father does this sometimes to people. He never said it one time. Now, we're gonna, give me time to unpack all this because I know where y'all, y'all's minds may be going. Give me, give me a minute. But here's the thing. What you need to understand, it was never the original intention of God. And when Jesus died on the cross, he began to undo the works of the devil. And it started at the cross and it's been unfolding. And it is not completed yet, but it has been unfolding in all of its dimensions. And one of those dimensions of the devil's work is sickness and disease and ultimately death. When he was raised from the dead, he defeated death completely. Scripture indicates that God heals for four primary reasons. And uh, the first one is God heals because it is in his nature to heal. As we said, he says, I am the Lord God, your healer. Even in the book of Genesis, it's not just New Testament, it's Old Testament. He healed Abimelech and his family in Genesis 20. He opened Sarah's womb in Genesis 21. He did the same for Leah in Genesis 29. He healed Miriam of leprosy in in Numbers 12. He healed a pagan general, Naaman, who had leprosy, who came to Elisha because his own gods could not heal him. And you see healing throughout the Old Testament. I could name uh, one right after another, an account of God doing healing miracles even before Jesus. Jesus shows up on the scene. But then when Jesus shows up on the scene, he says, if you see me, you've seen the Father. If you want to know what the will of the Father is, look to me, look at my life, etc. Matthew 4.23 says when Jesus shows up, he went throughout all Galilee proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom and healing every disease and every affliction among the people. Mark 6.56, wherever he came in villages, cities, or countryside, they laid the sick in the marketplaces and implored him that they might touch even the fringe of his garment, and as many as touched it were made well. Luke 6.19, all the crowd sought to touch him for power came out from him and healed them all. It's no surprise that what Jesus does, he actually commissioned his disciples to do also. And here's what he says in Luke chapter 9, verse 6. He sent his disciples out. They departed and they went through the villages, what? Preaching the gospel and healing everywhere. Acts chapter 5, verse 12 through 16, it says, Now many signs and wonders were regularly done among the people by the hands of the apostles, so that they even carried out the sick into the streets and laid them on cots and mats, that as Peter came by, at least his shadow might fall on some of them. The people also gathered, bringing the sick and those afflicted with unclean spirits, and they were all healed. Secondly, God heals because he's compassionate. You know, when Moses says, God, I need you to show me your glory. I want to see who you are. I want to know what your nature is. God shows up, hides Moses in the cleft of the rock, and only shows him his back parts because he couldn't see the full revelation of him lest it kill him. 
But when God reveals who he is to Moses, the first thing that he reveals is his compassion. And compassion means, literally it's a Latin word that means to suffer with. That means when God sees you in your suffering, when he sees you in your sickness, you need to understand that he went to the cross to suffer with you in it. He's not a God that's far off. He's not a God that is not acquainted with our pains and with our sufferings. No, he entered into our pains and in our sufferings with us. And he went through it the same way that we go through it. But he is compassionate. Exodus 34, 6 says that he passed in front of Moses proclaiming, The Lord, the Lord, the compassionate and gracious God, slow to anger, abounding in love and faithfulness. Jesus healed for the same reason. Matthew 14, 14, it says that Jesus had compassion on them and he healed their sick. Jesus, in verse Matthew 9, says he went through all the cities and villages healing every disease and every affliction. Notice this, and when he saw the crowds, he had compassion for them. You know, sometimes people will accuse even me, and I, I, honestly, I don't even think I'm that radical. I'm pretty chill about most of the stuff that I believe in. i got to be honest with you. You're like, Clay, you're actually not. You're not chill at all. Uh, but I've had some people say before, you know, Clay, you, do, you talk about healing or you talk about spiritual gifts because you're just into sensationalism and you're looking for a sign. Far from it, folks. I actually try to chill down sensationalism. I want a legitimate and true move of God. But what I've seen God do in my life is undeniable. And so I can't cater to a religious mindset or another doctrine when what I see in Scripture actually backs up experiences that I've had. I've seen people get set free. I've seen people get healed. Have I seen it as much as I'd like to? Are there times when we've not seen it happen? Absolutely. Like We fail far more than we see God's glory be revealed, but we're flawed, man. We're human, but that doesn't give me the right to say, God, there's people that don't believe me. God, there's people that are calling me bad names and people that say I'm into sensationalism. First and foremost, God says that he heals. Why? Because he's compassionate. Not because he wants to see ministry look cool. Not because he wants attention. Matter of fact, he would heal people and then tell them, hey, don't go tell nobody. Because what he wanted more than anything was for the person that was sick and afflicted to know the love of God. Not for somebody to say, wow, look at that ministry. They got healing going on. That's not what it's for. It's for broken and afflicted people to experience the love of God and find freedom and find peace and find new life. Thirdly, God heals because the demonstration of supernatural power gives authority to the preaching of of the kingdom. Often Jesus would be challenged in his authority to forgive sin and he said like Matthew 9 6 but that you may know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins. He's saying that the healing was the proof of his authority to forgive. And he ends up saying in Matthew 9 8 when the crowd saw it they were afraid and they glorified God who had given such authority to men. And Jesus said the same thing to an unbelieving crowd in John chapter 10 he said, if I'm not doing the works of my Father, then don't believe me. But if I do them, even though you do not believe me, believe the works, that you may know and understand that the Father is in me and I am in the Father. And so when Peter and John, if you move on in the New Testament, they were called to account before the religious leaders. Uh, their demonstration of authority actually left the religious leaders powerless to refute the gospel message because it says in Acts 4.14, but seeing the man who was healed standing beside them, they had nothing to say in opposition. So God does not need anything to authenticate his message. I'll say that right now. He don't need anything to authenticate his message. And oftentimes he simply calls us to preach the gospel, to share the gospel with people, first and foremost, and allow the Holy Spirit to do the work in hearts of believers in creating faith that brings salvation in their hearts through the preaching of the gospel. But there are times as believers, and we should seek and pray and expect it to happen based on Scripture, that God does heal, that God does deliver, that God miraculously touches lives as an indicator of his coming kingdom and sometimes it will further the gospel in people's hearts and in people's minds and it will expand in that way amen so he don't need anything to authenticate his message but in his mercy he provided for the demonstration of supernatural power often through healing to be a means by which people who would otherwise would not believe might come to faith 
I've seen people, I've known a few people. I talked to a guy just this past week, lives, lives a, a, about an hour away, but he, he met with us one time and we were able to pray for him. Donald and I actually prayed for him. I talked with him again this week. When he came to us, he was not a believer in Jesus. Jesus set him free from a debilitating disease, from schizophrenia, delivered him completely. And you know what he did because of that? After he saw God at work and the supernatural in his life, he gave his life completely to Jesus and he's been following Jesus ever since. Now, he was dealing with something, man, that was absolutely debilitating for 20 years, but God touched him and set him free. But D, let me make this point in regards to that. God heals to bring glory to his name because when God uses us, and let me tell you something, God uses his church. That's who he's chosen to use. That's why he calls it, get this, the body of Christ. If, if he didn't want to use us, he wouldn't call us the body of Christ. He'd call us those people over there that don't do anything. They just wait on God to do it. No, he called us the body of Christ because he's given us his spirit the same way he gave Christ his spirit to continue the works of Christ in the earth. Not as one individual, not as one holy man, but as an entire body who allows the gifts of God to flow through them to the broken world. And this is what God's calling us to, but he does it to bring glory to his name. And Jesus said that over and over again. This illness is not unto death, John 11. It is for the glory of God so that the Son of God may be glorified through it. As individuals, I'll say this, we often crave glory. You ever craved any glory? Most of y'all are too humble. I know you've never craved any. I've craved some glory on a time or two. Uh, but what I find, you know, sometimes I will, I'll pray for people and even see God do, do, do great things. And sometimes, though, I've found that I pray for people and nothing happened. Honestly, there's been situations where I step out in faith to do something I believe God asked me to do and get completely humiliated. You ever done that? And I've been like, oh my gosh, Lord, why would you ask me to do that and be in this state of complete humiliation? And I think it's because he wants us to remain humble. I think it's because if every time I prayed for somebody, you know, fire fell from heaven and just the, the angels started flowing, I would get so lifted up in pride that it would destroy my life. And that's why he's really not even interested in just using me. He wants to use the body. I believe that whenever the Lord speaks to me, he says, Clay, I would prefer that you teach these things because I don't want you to just be used. I want the body of Christ to be used. And I don't want glory to go to any one person. I want it to function through the body so that glory goes to me alone. Amen. Never think that any man has the power. The power comes from God and God alone, and he deserves all the glory. Number two, it's the importance of corporate ministry that we need to also take into consideration because the gifts of God are given to many. If you read in 1 Corinthians 12, within the body of Christ, it says that there's a widespread bestowal of spiritual gifts upon all the members. In 1 Corinthians 12, 7, it says, To each is given the manifestation of the Spirit for the common good. And then he starts to list some gifts, and in verse 9, he lists a couple here. But he says, to another faith by the same Spirit. And that's not just normal faith, that's the gift of faith. That's the supernatural ability to believe that God is going to do something that would be otherwise impossible in a moment of time. But then he says, to another, gifts of healing by the one Spirit. And understand that in all of these gifts that he lifts of the Spirit in 1 Corinthians 12, healing is the only one that is, that is in the plural. Every other one is, is the word of knowledge, the word of wisdom, the gift of faith. But then he says, gifts of healings. That's what it says in most translations. He says this is plural. In other words, he wants healing to function through a variety of believers who pray for the sick and they learn to flow and function in that gift that God gives them sovereignly as he chooses. You don't get to decide when God heals or when he flows through you or when he uses you or how he uses you. The Spirit chooses how when, and when he's going to move. Your job is to seek God for it, to be open and to yield to him when he moves. He's the one who heals. Not you, not I, but he wants to give us these gifts, and they're given to many. Scripture also teaches, get this, that it is the responsibility of the elders in every local body to anoint with oil and pray for healing. That's what it says in James 5. Is any among you sick? Let them call for the elders of the church who will anoint you with oil in the name of the Lord, and the prayer of faith will save the sick, and the Lord will raise them up. It's the responsibility of church leaders to anoint with oil and to pray for healing for those that are sick. And we can't neglect that responsibility. You say, but what if they don't get healed? What if they do? You ever think about that aspect of it? 
Sometimes people don't get healed. I don't know why. God's sovereign. He's in control. Our job is to seek, to pray, to believe, and act in obedience to God's Word. Secondly, gifts are given for the body. In his teaching on the gifts of the Spirit, Paul says this, as we just read, to each is given the manifestation of the Spirit for the common good. In other words, though he gives gifts through individuals, gifts are not given Two individuals. I want to change your mindset on this because some people will say, well, I have this gift or I have that gift or I believe I have that gift. No, 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 no. You're not the recipient of the gift. You are the channel through which the gift flows. The recipient of the gift is the one to whom you minister. To one is given the gift of healing. Guess what? The one who receives the gift of healing is the one who receives the healing. You were simply the, simply the channel through which that gift flowed. Understand that. The prophetic gifting is not a gifting that comes to an individual. I've got, I've got the gift of prophecy. No, no, no. The gifting is the one who receives it on the other end. You were simply the channel through which it flowed. And God wants you to be a channel through which His gifts can flow. And this is why He says, earnestly desire the best gifts. What's that mean? It means that when I'm at home praying, I'm praying for people that I know are sick and afflicted, but I'm also saying, God, I desire earnestly to see healing, to see the miraculous done, to see people that are broken and afflicted be healed from their diseases and their sicknesses and be set free. And God, I'm open. If you would, please use me. And I'll even add fasting to it. I'll go without eating. I'll say, God, please use me. Use your church. Use other people. Open people's hearts up to this. And it, you never know. You may be out in public and all of a sudden God start beating on your chest and say, I need you to go pray for that person. They may even say a word. I remember the first time, the first time I've told you this story a million times, but it's a good story. The first person I ever saw healed was that woman over there. We, did, we didn't go to church at the same time together, but I had been praying, I had been fasting, and I had said, Lord, I want to see you, I want to see you move. And I, I see, again, I didn't have time. I was about 23 years old or something. I didn't have time for anybody to teach me out of it. I just saw it in the Bible. I prayed for it. I fasted. And I heard her telling about how she had a torn rotator cuff and she couldn't lift her arm and she just wanted to hold her babies who aren't babies anymore. They're full-grown men about it now. But that's what she said. And I heard that. And, I, and this was the first time I'd ever really even prayed for somebody in that manner. And I said, Lord, I don't, I don't know about that. And I started sweating beads of sweat, son. And, uh, and I actually went to the bathroom before I laid hands on you, Barb. I hope you don't mind. I can't, I can't remember if I washed my hands or not. <laughs> it's all right. So, so, so I go in the bathroom. I said, Lord, I'm going to step out in faith. This is scary. I've never done anything like this. They'll probably think I'm an idiot, but I'm going to try it anyway. I walked back looking for her. She was in the filing cabinet room. And I put my hand on her shoulder, and I just prayed a prayer. I commanded healing into her rotator cuff. And guess what? Clay didn't do it. Clay was obedient, and I became the channel. God touched her shoulder, healed her completely of a torn rotator cuff. And that right there, son, that was it for me. I was wild on it after that. I was just like, anybody I find, I'm, pr I'm praying for. Now, i got to be honest with you. I, guess what? My percent, I mean, I, I ain't batting a thousand by no means. I've prayed for way more people where weird stuff has happened. Like, I've even prayed for, I've tried to pray for people, and they're like, no, you can't pray for me. I've, I've run into that stuff. I'm like, oh, okay, never mind. <laughs> you know, so they're, they're, and, and then I've prayed for people that I wanted God to heal and touch so powerfully, and I didn't see it. I saw them pass away. And, and, you know, and, and you wrestle with that. But what I've come to understand is that it's not my job to do the healing. It's my job to be obedient to God and to believe and seek for these things. And then let God be God. Let God be sovereign over all. Let God be in control. Yield it to Him and say, God, we're open. We want you to do what you want to do. We want to follow your spirit. We can't heal anybody, but Lord, we'll be open to however you want to flow and however you want to move. His gifts are given to his body and the body extends outward because I believe that what God is doing see one of the ways that God wants to touch people I'm telling you we, we, look, we share the gospel first and foremost. That's primary in our evangelistic ministry. But you saw also when Jesus sends out his disciples it says they preach the gospel of the kingdom everywhere. First and foremost they share Jesus. His death, his resurrection, his life. He is Lord. That's, that's, that's where, that is the power of God unto salvation. But in that same ministry, when people are sick and afflicted, we should pray for them. And we should believe God to touch their bodies. 
And we should believe God to minister to them. And I'm going to tell you this, even if they're not healed, they're going to appreciate the fact that you cared enough to pray for them. Now, very few people I've found, but there are some out there that will decline prayer for healing. But most people won't, won't decline it if you offer it in a respectful way. And you ain't got to be weird. You can just pray a nice prayer and believe God. But in the book of Acts, if you notice, see, they, they move into the same types of ministry that Jesus went into. The apostles, even some of the deacons, Stephen, they were ministering to people. They were seeing people healed and, and, and demons cast out, etc. But in the book of Acts, there are 29 miracles of healing that we know of in the book of Acts. And some of those are like broad acts because it's happening on a larger scale. But 29 instances... Do you realize, though, because everybody's like, see, in the book of Acts, oh, it's just happening, breaking out left and right, yada, yada, yada. Do you realize that the book of Acts took place over the course of 30 years? So when you read it like that, and you see that there's 29 miracles that are significant, healings that are significant, it changes your viewpoint and your perspective. Because somebody say, well, see, we just don't see it like the book of Acts. I'm going to tell you something. I see a miracle every year. I see God do something significant every year. And, and so for me, if I'm reading the book of Acts, I say, yeah, there were 29 miracles, but it happened over the span of 30 years. Now, I'm going to argue that those dudes were closer to the Lord and they had a much less superficial relationship with God than we do. I'm going to argue that they were functioning in high, far greater power. I'm going to argue even that the apostles were functioning in something quite different than what we were. I agree, I agree with that wholeheartedly. But that being said, I do not believe that somehow there's been a break to where God never does any of those things anymore through His people. You cannot find that biblically. And so we still need to contend for what God wants to do in our midst and move into this. Because Ramsey McMullen, who's not even a Christian at Yale University, he said this about the Christian church. He said the reason pagans accepted Christianity was not primarily doctrine, which is our emphasis today, but a very simple encounter with power. Our God is more powerful than your gods, the demonic forces that hold you down. Early Christians emphasized healing and exorcism as the chief instruments of conversion and explosive growth that took place. Now that being said, I'm not interested, like I told you, I hate sensationalism. I hate hyping stuff up. If I, I hate anybody who would even dream about trying to fake a healing or anything like that. I'm not interested in that. I want the real. I want the legitimate. I don't want hype or sensationalism, but I still believe that God does. He's just like we sang this morning. He still healed back then. He still heals today. He is the same God, moving in the same ways. One of the greatest hindrances to why he doesn't move as we think the same way that he does. I bet worldwide and globally he still is. It's just because you ain't seen it doesn't mean it ain't happening. Somebody amen me this morning. Just because you've not experienced it. Because in our churches, most of us are functioning in some of the highest levels of unbelief. That's a hard pill to swallow. But we function in the American church in some of the highest levels of unbelief throughout history. You go to Africa, you go to India, they, they don't function in that unbelief. They believe God's going to move. They believe when they meet and worship, God's going to show up. Things are going to happen. We meet, and all we're trying to do is get more intellectually stimulated. I need more doctrine. I love doctrine more than the next dude. I mean, I sit in there and read literally systematic theologies. Love doctrine. But doctrine done properly should lead you into a living encounter with a living God. Amen. Y'all with me this morning? Praise God. Number three, our faith in God is demonstrated by action. How many of you believe that? Let me say this. To believe in healing is not enough. We must move from an intellectual acceptance of healing into a spirit-empowered practice of it. To believe in healing is not enough. Well, I believe God can heal. When's the last time you prayed for a sick person? Well, it got quiet in here. <laughs> what happened right then, you all? I believe God can heal. When's the last time you prayed in faith, believing God would do it? When's the last time you laid hands on a person and prayed in faith, be healed in Jesus' name? And so we need to move into a, a spirit-empowered practice of it. And the first point here is choosing to believe the Word moves us from hope to faith. See, because here's the thing. 
When it comes to healing, it's not enough to hope that one day God will heal someone and then sit back and watch. I can't just sit back and hope that God heals them because hope never healed anybody. He said faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. Faith is an action that takes hope, grabs a hold of it, and says, I want to bring this into reality now, and it acts upon the word of truth. The word of God, when you believe it, it moves you from hope to action in faith, believing that God is going to move. And I want to say this, the only people who don't have bugs on their windshield, I heard a guy say this the other day, but the only people who don't have bugs on their windshield are the people who don't drive the car. Amen. Now you can sit back and judge me all you want about what I believe, and you may think it's heresy. You can sit back and judge me all you want to. That's fine. I'm, I'm, I've received it once. I guarantee you I will receive it again, and I will bless you in the name of the Lord. Because I, I'm not interested in what you think. I'm interested in what God thinks. I want to stand before God and God say, Clay, you did good. Even when people said negative things about you, you loved them in return and you pressed forward and you preached what, you, what I gave you to preach and you believed me to move. Even when, even when you prayed and failed and it didn't happen and you stepped out in faith and tried to see, God, see me moving in, in mighty ways and I didn't move, you still didn't give up. See, you got to take steps of faith. You have to take risks or you're just going to leave your car sitting in the driveway. You ain't driving nothing. You need to, if you are ever going to see God do something, you've got to step out in faith. You gotta, let me tell you this. Say, well, what if, I, what if I do it and I don't see something happen? I don't see God happen. Well, I can promise you this. If you don't pray for somebody, you never will. Because it takes faith to move in that direction. And most Christians, we're in the ball game, son, and we're just taking pitch after pitch after pitch, hoping to get walked, never taking a risk at swinging. And God said, no, I need you to step out. Say, well, I can't be used. No, no, no. These gifts that God wants are grace gifts that he gives to his body. Secondly, genuine faith always produces action. You know, um, two times the Apostle Paul, he bookends Romans, and he says it's the obedience of faith. The obedience of faith. Obedience and faith are tied together. You can't have one without the other. The phrase literally means that obedience is faith and faith is obedience. We often think that faith is simply intellectually agreeing with a doctrine. And it's not that. Faith, when I believe in Jesus, it actually moves in my heart to cause me to obey Jesus. Faith without works, James said, is dead. To say I believe something but never act upon it means that my faith is not genuine and it's not real. Genuine faith produces action. In the Hebrew language, they tied another word together. Y'all ever heard of chutzpah? They, they believed that chutzpah was directly linked to faith. In other words, that if you believed in God, you had courage. You had guts. You were fearless. You were willing to step out just like Moses did and put your staff in the water and split the stinking water because you had guts and faith enough to believe that if I step forward in faith, God's going to do something. That's faith. Thirdly, obedience is not legalism. Obedience comes out of obeying the promptings of the Holy Spirit. Legalism comes out of a sense of religious obligation. What am I saying? I'm saying that you can listen to a message on healing and you can either say, that's not for me, or you can say, well, now I'm going to start praying for people out of religious obligation because Clay told me to pray for people. What I'm telling you is to de develop a relationship with the Word of God and with the Holy Spirit, and as the Holy Spirit moves you, you should surrender and yield to His promptings because He may lead you to pray for people that you wouldn't have prayed for. And you need to be sensitive to his leadings because that's what it is about. The words obey and believe both occur in the New Testament about 250 times each because they are so linked together. Number four, the empowering of the Holy Spirit to be witnesses is an important aspect of healing. And the reason being is because Jesus himself relied on the power of the Holy Spirit to do the works that he did. Everything that he did 
was by the power of the Holy Spirit. And then when his disciples, when he was about to depart, he prepared his disciples and he's like, hey, guess what, boys? Y'all are going to enter into the same ministry that I was doing, but now you're going to do it corporately as my body. And it's not just going to stay in Israel and Jerusalem. It's going to go into all the world. And thanks be to God, because the Holy Spirit came on the day of Pentecost and empowered some fearful men who were afraid to do anything to go out and preach and pray for the sick, it spread like wildfire. And now we're over here thousands of miles away across the sea in southeastern Kentucky believing the same thing them boys did. Because it spread like wildfire. So he said, you need to wait until you are endued with power from on high. He told them that they would be baptized with the Holy Spirit. And on the day of Pentecost, the Holy Spirit came in power. And let me tell you this, that same way, I believe with all my heart. I, see, I had I, this is where my experience, once again, I believe, backs up Scripture. I sought God for a year in drug addiction and every all kinds of other things. You guys have probably heard the story. Battling all these things. And there was a day when I was in my bedroom where the Holy Spirit showed up in power. I was completely converted. I was set free from addictions that I had. But guess what? With that same Holy Spirit that set me free came all of a sudden a power that I did not have the day before to now speak to my friends about Jesus, to tell them what was going on in my life, to witness to my family, to share Jesus with them. But not only that, I also also had like a radical compelling to now pray for people and believe that when I prayed God would do something I didn't have it before so what I'm saying is and here's the thing about the Holy Spirit is you see them filled over and over again in the book of Acts because Ephesians 5 18 in, in the Greek tense it says be always continually being filled with the Holy Spirit be filled with the Holy Spirit and be refilled with the Holy Spirit. Spend a life in direct communion with God where you and the Holy Spirit are linked together like brothers. And so all of a sudden when you go out now, you have a supercharged power where it's not about you trying to share Jesus with somebody out of religious obligation. You can't hold it in because the Holy Spirit is pulsating in you. That's what we want as the Christian church. It's not about, hey, well, he taught on healing. Maybe we should test that out. There are moments when I am so compelled. I, 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 and let me tell you this. I'm so compelled by the love of God and by the Spirit of God at times to pray for healing. And even then, sometimes they don't get healed, but it doesn't matter. I've been obedient to the Spirit. I don't know all the variables. I don't know why things happen. But see, we have to understand that the Holy Spirit makes us witnesses. We are witnesses to the biblical fact of healing. That means that we witness and we understand that if we believe Scripture, God is a healer. I don't think anybody could deny that. Acts 10, Peter said, You yourselves know what happened, how God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Spirit and with power. He went about doing good and healing all who were oppressed by the devil. And we are witnesses of all that he did both in the country of the Jews and in Jerusalem. We're witnesses to the biblical significance of healing. We're witnesses who participate in the sufferings of Christ, which may come because of our following after Jesus in the ministry of healing. Can I tell you this? When you press into the deeper things of God, you will face more resistance. And first and foremost, you'll face more resistance from religious people. They don't like it. When Jesus healed the sick, you know what they said? Well, you in here doing healing on the Sabbath? Seemed like a good day to me, bro. I mean, like, when have you ever healed anyone? How about that for a question? Then they come out, and he's casting demons out of the afflicted, people that we just throw in mental institutions and diagnose them with one of the 270 diseases in the DSM. And he's delivering these people. And... They come to him and he said, it's by the power of the devil that you cast out these devils. And he said, fellas, let me tell you something. You can blaspheme the Father, you can blaspheme me, but you blaspheme the Holy Spirit and it will not be forgiven in this life or the next. They attributed the work of the Holy Spirit to the devil himself flowing through the manifestation of God himself, Jesus Christ. And listen, we're not Jesus Christ, but we have the same Spirit. And as his body, we can participate with him. But can I tell you this? Peter and Paul, when, they, when healing flowed through them, they were thrown in prison. Jesus was criticized. Throughout history, anybody who really functioned in any kind of gift of the Spirit on any kind of big influential level, they were always criticized, demonized, and thrown out the door by the religious community because they didn't want no part of it. And I'm going to tell you, if you press into God, you're going to face the same things. And some people, you know, somebody said, well, Clay, if you preach some of the things that you preach, people are going to leave you church. 
I mean, I don't know what else to do but laugh at that. I mean, what am I supposed to do? Am I supposed to cater to what people think as opposed to what I believe God thinks? I mean, honestly, let's consider this. Let's consider this. Because I want people to come to my church. I want people to flourish in the Lord. But part of flourishing in the Lord is believing the totality of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Not watering it down, not cutting it off, not saying, no, we don't believe God does stuff anymore, but no, pressing into it in a wise and thoughtful way, allowing the biblical truth to come alive by the power of the Spirit. We are witnesses, last one, we are witnesses who pursue the practice of healing faithfully for as long as God calls us. God doesn't call us to test it one time and pray a quick prayer. I was, I was reading a story about... Uh, John Wimber, who started the Vineyard Church movement, and obviously he was criticized throughout his life. But one of the things that he said when a guy came to him, he was teaching on healing. And honestly, he taught on healing so much that a bunch of people left his church. He was teaching on healing, and nobody was getting healed. And so they were like, dude, we're tired of hearing this. We're leaving. You know, and a bunch of people left his church. He got criticized, and he said that he probably prayed for a 1,000 people before he saw God really begin to move in healing. It was almost as, as if God was trying him and putting him through a purification process to bring him to a position in his heart where he could actually steward the gift of healing that God wanted him to give him. That being said, what I need you to understand is God doesn't always just allow things to break out just because you up and one day said, I'd like to see that, God. He needs to purify our hearts. He wants to see seekers that earnestly desire it and are willing to pay the price in order to see him move in a profound way. One guy told, came to him and said, John, he said, man, I, I did what you said. I went out and prayed for people. I prayed for 20 or 30 people. Ain't nobody got healed. He said, well, come back to me when you've prayed for 1,000 because it took me 1,000 before I saw God heal the first one. Somebody said, well, I don't know if I'm ready to go through 1,000. <laughs> Amen. Who knows how often a breakthrough has been imminent just when people stop praying, though? Who knows? Because the Scripture says, Let us not grow weary of doing good, for in due season we will reap if we do not give up. I've got two more quick points and I'm done. When we talk about healing... Number five, we need to talk about the importance of right relationships because if our relationship with God and with each other is not in a healthy place, it will be difficult for us to be the channels of God's healing. And this is a, and a very important one. Matter of fact, Paul says in 1 Corinthians 11, he says that because you all have not discerned the Lord's body and there's divisions among you, some of y'all are angry at each other. He says, some of y'all put each other down. Some of y'all over here getting drunk. Some of you guys are doing this. And there's just division and gossip and slander among you. He says, you're not coming together and discerning the Lord's body. And because of that, many of you are weak. Many of you are ill. And some of you have even died. And I read that and I think, man, surely you ain't serious, Paul. And he's saying, no, because you're not healthy spiritually and your relationship with God is not right and your relationship with one another is not right, it actually flows out into your physical health. He says it becomes an expression of your inner spiritual and emotional health. And 1 John lays out this, this process of spiritual health because he talks about how we need to, in 1 John 1, walk in the light and bring, confess our sins before God and we're cleansed by the blood of Jesus. But then he says we also need to move into a place where we love our brother in the next chapter because if we say we love God and don't love our brother, then the truth of God is not in us. But then he says if we have a right relationship with God and we've got a right relationship with our brother and sister and we're loving God and loving our brother and sister, he says then we can pray in confidence confidence knowing that the prayers we ask according to God's will will be done he's saying when you're in right relationship with him and you're in right right relationship with your brother and sister I mean I'm gonna tell you something when I find out that somebody's really got an offense at me I call them <laughs> I'm just like hey I know I ain't that great of a person but if I've done something to you let's talk about it because I want you to forgive me and I want to say I'm sorry because I want to keep my heart clean before the Lord I know I've got problems. I know that sometimes I say hurtful things and I do hurtful things. And this is the reason why the church is so beautiful. Some people hate the church because they get offended. Guess what? This may be your only opportunity to learn forgiveness and true love. It's easy to love people who are good to you. Jesus said, that ain't nothing. Love people that are good to you, that ain't nothing. It's when you're in the church and somebody hurts you and offends you and you're able to go to your brother in love and forgive them and be reconciled and give them grace. That's when you learn the love of Christ. 
So thank God for His church, ain't it? Thank God for the broken people in His church that hurt me so that I can learn forgiveness. Man, that's a good word right there, Clay. One guy said, David Campbell said, I am convinced that the lack of healing in the church in our culture, whether physical or emotional in nature, is due in considerable measure to the superficiality of our relationship with God and the brokenness of our relationships between one another. Healing will not come out of a dysfunctional body, nor will it come out of a body with a superficial commitment to the Lordship of Jesus Christ. He's saying, you want to know why we don't see God doing the things that He wants to do in our midst is because we don't have a strong, we have a superficial commitment to God and we have all kinds of bitterness and animosity and anger in our relationships with others. And the truth of the matter is, 75% of us in here this morning, we got bitterness and anger and unforgiveness in our heart towards somebody in the world today. And God is saying, you want to know why you're clogged up every time there's worship going on? Or you want to know why, God, you're having a hard time allowing the gifts of the Spirit to flow through you? Well, you've not released that unforgiveness and that bitterness into your heart that you've had for decades. And you're holding something right now. And he's saying, you want healing to flow? You need to let it start in your own heart. All of that being said, let me make a few points on this because sometimes we can get into this. And I, I'm teaching this morning. You know why? Matter of fact, in the Bible it says, it says that he gave some to be apostles, prophets, thirdly teachers, and after that, miracles and gifts of healing. And I believe that sometimes healing doesn't take place until there's teaching that is done. Amen. That's the way he said it. He ordered it that way. But sometimes we can get a little bit of a misinterpretation. And I want to say this, there's not always a straight line of cause and effect between our relationship with God and our health. You look at the book of Job. Job was a righteous man, yet he experienced extreme sickness. And often, here's one thing that happens. Let me tell you something about our health. I talked about the three Big Macs, you know what I'm saying? In our world today, if you look at statistics, the greatest uh, things that are causing death and, and bad health is really the things that we eat cigarettes, over alcohol consumption, drug use, those things are massive contributors in our world today to declining health and ultimately death. And you can't just negate those. It's very difficult to like do a lot of drugs and smoke three packs of cigarettes a day and continue doing that and say, Lord, heal me from this. You understand what I'm saying? God, God wants you to also learn how to live a physically healthy life because your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit. What you eat will affect you. And so we don't want to just say, well, we believe God for healing and go eat 12 Big Macs. You know what I'm saying? Like, every day. Like, there, there, there's this aspect. I'm sorry, I probably offended somebody right then. Forgive me, walk in grace. Um, secondly, I need you to understand that Timothy experienced frequent illnesses, and Paul talked about that. Paul talked about how Timothy was experiencing frequent illnesses, and not one time did Paul make a suggestion that it might have been caused by something wrong in Timothy's life. He didn't say, well, you know, Timothy, the reason uh, that you're experiencing these sicknesses and illnesses is because you're in sin, brother. No, he didn't say none of that. He didn't know why it was there either. You say, well, why didn't he heal him? I don't know. The same reason we don't see everybody healed. The same things that were happening back then are the same things that are happening today. Paul had power to heal, but it's so interesting because Paul in Galatians 4.13, if you read it, he said that he was there. The whole reason the book of Galatia was written and he preached to the Galatians is because when he went through Galatia, he got so sick and had an illness that he had to stay in Galatia. And he said, but you know what? It worked out that I was so sick because I actually got to preach the gospel to you guys. God used his sickness. Well, why if God's a healer? I don't know. He's God. And sometimes we pray for healing and sometimes it don't happen. So what we need to do then say is, God, what else are you trying to show me? What else do I need to see in this? And sometimes it's just a simple fact that you're not in control. Fourthly, Paul actually left one of his fellow workers, Trophimus, sick in Miletus in 2 Timothy 4.20. And he didn't make any negative comment regarding his walk with God. He didn't regard him as a failure because he couldn't heal him. He didn't say, you know what, I've been, I've been seeing people heal left and right and I couldn't heal Trophimus. No, people were sick. Epaphroditus was sick and he says God had mercy on him and he, and he let him live through it. But he didn't heal every single person that he prayed for even though he saw great miracles that we read in the book of Acts. Because in this life, we're still going to experience these things. He had a thorn in the flesh, which most likely could have been an illness. And the scripture actually says, he said, three times I pray God take his... It could have been an illness, could have been something different, could have been a sinful stroke. I don't know. 
Some people say it was where he was persecuted and beaten because he got beat half to death for preaching the gospel. He prayed three times, Lord, take this from me. And God said, no, I need this to stay with you for a moment lest you be lifted up because of the abundance of the revelations and spiritual power that you've been walking in. In other words, he could have possibly allowed Paul to suffer a sickness in order to keep him in a place of humility given the fact of all the knowledge that he was receiving from God. So we have to wrestle with this, don't we? We have to hold these things in tension. Here's my last point. Healing is for the whole person. Y'all good this morning? Is this good teaching? Y'all say amen. Somebody give me a wave and say, I'm good, Clay. Praise God. Healing is for the whole person. John 7, 23, If on the Sabbath a man receives circumcision so that the law of Moses may not be broken, are you angry with me because on the Sabbath I made a, a man's whole body well? This is what Jesus says to the religious leaders. And there's three, this word that he uses for well in the New Testament is a specific word called eugeis, okay? And there's three words in the Greek for healing used in the New Testament. Therapeuo, which we get the word therapy from. It's used 46 times. Aoma, it's used 32 times. Those two always, always are associated with physical healing. Eugeis, which occurs 23 times, is much broader because Paul even uses it when he talks about sound or healthy doctrine or being sound or healthy in the faith. And in the Greek translation of the Hebrew Old Testament, this word is translated shalom, and it means healing for the whole person. It means that your mind and your will and your emotions, your relationships are made whole. That you come into an overall well-being that is not just physical, but also mental, emotional, and spiritual. And it is whole. Now that point being said, I need you to, here's, here's a point that I want to make. John Wimber, he had a great quote, and I believe it to be so true. He said, it is more important to know what kind of person has the illness rather than what kind of illness has the person. Think about that for a minute. He's saying when I pray for a person, it's not just a matter of me knowing what illness they have and praying against the illness. He said, I need to view this person as a child of God in need of the love of God. And in probably more cases than not, they need much more than just physical healing. And so that could have been abused. There could be open doors in their life where the enemy has attacked them. I can tell you many, numerous times that we've prayed for people and ministered to people and, and maybe they're dealing with a physical ailment, but once you get down into the, into the root of their life, man, they're dealing with abuse and, or maybe, maybe even some, sometimes they've delved into witchcraft. Or there, there's so many different things that could have taken place that's opened them up to something. And the fact of the matter is, not every sickness and disease obviously is linked to sin or anything like that. Sometimes these things are random. We don't know why everything happens. But the point being is that a person is a whole person. And it's important that when we minister to them, we minister to them spirit, soul, and body. The most important thing in a person's life is not physical healing. It's spiritual healing. Because if you repent of your sin and you give your life to Jesus and you believe with your whole heart that Jesus died on the cross, first and foremost, for your sin. And you repent of that sin, and you say, Jesus, I put my faith in you. I believe you died on the cross for my sin. I believe you were raised from the dead. And you confess Jesus as your Lord. By faith, Jesus gives you a new heart and a new mind. He creates a new spirit within you, and you become a new creation in Christ Jesus. And from there, we believe that that healing can and should flow out mentally and emotionally, and even possibly physically. And we should pray and believe for all of those types of things. But are we treating the symptom and ignoring the cause? What's going on in your heart? Our goal in praying for people is to leave them feeling more loved by God than they did before we prayed for them. People are not objects of our ministry, gift, and calling. A person is not an object of me praying so that I hope that they get healed so that we can put a testimony up on the screen and say, look, look at this. You know, what I mean? Even though I believe testimonies are important, I believe if you get healed, you need to share that with somebody. A testimony of what God has done in your life expands the kingdom of God and it creates faith in the heart of another to believe if God did this for them, He can do it for me. And I think we should press 
into that. But people are not objects of our ministry gifting, but they are the recipients of our love. The reason we do anything should, be, should come out of the foundation of God's love for that person. When we pray for them, it should come out of a place of love. And so from that, that perspective, we want to just open our hearts to the Lord this morning. Would you just bow your head with me? Just thank the Lord this morning for His Word. It's a lot of Word, but I believe that when we receive the teaching of God's Word, it opens us to greater realities in the kingdom of God. And so if you're here this morning and you need that most important type of healing that grants you eternal life, that means that even if you are sick and afflicted in this life throughout your entire life, one day you'll see Jesus face to face and there'll be no more sickness, no more tears, no more death, no more disease. You say, I need to give my life to Jesus this morning. Won't you raise your hand as an act of faith? Say, that's me. I need, I need to be saved. I want to give my life to Jesus this morning. Anybody here in the house? I see one hand over here. Anybody else? Anybody else? Would you guys help me just pray for this one hand that's raised up right now? Just right there with your hand up. I, I'm just asking, asking right now that the Lord would touch you. I see another hand here. Lord, I pray right now that you would just touch them. They realize that in this moment, Lord Jesus, they need you. And so, Father, we pray with them. I want you to just pray this prayer. Say, Lord, I confess my sin to you. I ask you to forgive me of all of my sin. Cleanse me in your blood and heal my heart, God. Give me a new heart and a new mind. I confess you, Jesus, as Lord over my life. And I give you everything now in Jesus' mighty name. In Jesus' mighty name. Amen.